What a wonderful morning of worship already. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 as we continue on in this wonderful letter that the Holy Spirit has given us by the hand of the Apostle Paul. We come to chapter 12 having concluded a major section of the letter. Chapters 1 through 11, which we're going to review here in just a moment, deal largely with our need and the process of salvation that has been completed by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. At the same time, at the same time, we have in chapter 12, a new section that begins to show us the wonderful life that we have been called to. You have already seen a testimony in baptism of being buried, of leaving our old life behind and being raised to live a new life. And what Paul does in chapter 12 is begin to outline what does that look like. And so if you would, we're going to read the first 13 verses of chapter 12 this morning. So would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning and Father, we are thankful, thankful for what you have done in our presence this morning already in the testimony that is baptism, in the reminder of our need for salvation because of our sin, but also of that salvation that you offer freely through your blood and through your resurrection. Father, I pray this morning, if there is one here who does not know you, that they would see this testimony, these testimonies, that they would hear your worship, that they would hear the calling of your word, and that they would receive you. 
Lord, I pray for those of us that have put our faith and trust in you, that we would hear your word and be reminded of the ongoing work that you are doing in our lives, that we would open our arms and our hearts to receive it, that we may grow and bear fruit. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. As has become our custom, uh, it is important for us to review Romans because everything that Paul does in writing this letter builds upon the previous. You'll see the word therefore over and over and over again in Romans. So it's important for us to see how did we get here? How did we get to chapter 12? And so we're going to do a really quick review in chapters 1 through 11. And if you've been with us this entire time, most of these things you should be able to recite from memory. The first one is that we are all justly convicted and rightly sentenced. Paul, in beginning to talk about salvation and the process of it, starts off with saying, this, we all need salvation. We all have a, a desperate need to know him in saving grace because we are all justly convicted. We have all committed sin and stand before a holy God guilty. At the same time, because of that guilt, then we are deserving of a sentence. We're deserving of consequence. And if you break the eternal law of God, then the consequence of that is death. And not just physical death, but also separation from God in a place we call hell. That's a heavy thing. When you read through chapters 1, 2, and part of 3, it is heavy. When we realize what, where we stand as, all, as individuals. However, we get to chapter 3, and in th chapter 3, verse 21, he says, But now. And it's a glorious thing. But now, what, Paul? But now we can find justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross and died, though he was perfect, so that he may pay your consequence for you. And he laid in that grave for three days, but he rose again that he may have victory over death that he may offer these things to you if you will receive it by faith, if you will trust him with your life, if you'll come to him in forgiven, and asking forgiveness and committing to make him your Lord. He has done this remarkable thing so that now no longer do we have to stand before God as those guilty deserving of a sentence, but now we, do, we stand before God in a whole new light as those that have been adopted as sons and daughters, no longer deserving consequence, but now deserving inheritance, that inheritance to come of the resurrection and of the new creation and the new universe forever and ever. It is awesome things that are before us. And that is why Paul spends a good chunk of the next few chapters after that rejoicing in this new position. That now we have peace with God. Now we can be secure in his grace. Now we can rejoice in the hope and the assurance of the promises to come. Now we can rejoice even in the suffering of this life because we know who is the author and creator of all things. And that he works out all things for the good of those whom he loves. We can rejoice. And then he takes chapters 9 through 11, which we've looked at the last few works, and we see the bigger plan. 
We see how all of this started in the Old Testament and how God, through his sovereignty, has been in the business of calling his people to himself who then receive it by grace that he has given them. And we see how this plan is, has been unfolding in human history and how it continues to happen and how he will take it to its completion in the return of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So this is, he, he just paints this wonderful picture in chapters 1 through 11 of salvation from where, why we need it to where it's headed. And then he comes to chapter 12. And in chapter 12 and through chapter 14 and part of 15, he begins to unfold, okay, what now? If we've accepted Jesus Christ by faith, then what happens to the believer then? You see, baptism is not the end of life. It's not the end of your spiritual journey. It is the beginning. It is the birth point from which we mature into spiritual adulthood until that moment that we enter glory. And so he begins chapter 12 by saying this, I appeal to you, therefore, because of everything that happens in chapter 1 through 11, because of salvation, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he starts off chapter 12 with three commands. He starts off with three distinct commands here in the first two verses. And these commands set the tone for what is going to come after. The first of those commands is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, blood sacrifices were needed for the removal of sin for um, an offering of what God had given them for thanksgiving, for the marking of covenants. But with Jesus Christ sacrifice on the cross, there is no longer a need for blood sacrifices to be a part of our worship. And so instead, Paul says, instead of bringing bulls and goats and, and sacrificing them, we instead bring our lives. We bring our lives. Everything that we are, all the talents and gifts we have, all our dreams and desires, the personalities that he's given us, all of those things we bring before him and we lay out before our Lord and our King and say, what's next? How would you use me? And so he said, that's the first command. We are a living sacrifice. And as we go through these next few chapters, what we're going to see is the idea behind these chapters is a living sacrifice does this. A living sacrifice is this. The second command is to not be conformed to this world. To not be conformed to this world. This is an easy thing for us to do. We, none of us really enjoy standing out, but we begin to blend in to others so that we look like the world and we embrace what the world loves. It's like a chameleon who changes colors so that they may blend into their surroundings. The problem with that is that when we conform to the world, Jesus tells us that the road to destruction is wide and it is easy. So conforming to the world leads us to a path of destruction. But he is not just speaking to those who are lost. He's also speaking to believers because there are times in our life that we allow ourselves to be conformed to the world. 
We allow our dreams and our passions and our desires. We allow our time. We allow our resources to be consumed by what the world says is important. I'm going to go stand behind the podium before I say this next part. The American dream is not in Scripture. We get that out of place. We conform to the world and think that that's what's important. And we begin to look like them. And God is standing there saying, you're mine. Stop being theirs. So we're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be transformed. Now there's an interesting difference here between these two words. If you're conformed, it's that chameleon that changes colors. But guess what? When a chameleon changes colors, it's still a chameleon. Like, it doesn't change the essence of who it is. It's still a chameleon. But when you transform something, now it's completely different than what it was before. So we, he says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't look like the world. He says, rather, be transformed. Completely change. Be completely changed from what you were to what God is making you. In other words, be serious about this symbol that we have when we say we are buried, the old life dies, and the new life comes out. Take that seriously. Be transformed. Well, what transforms us? Well, the only thing that transforms us is the Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit that he may live in us, that he may transform us into the image of Christ. And we're going to look at that more in just a moment. So these are the three commands that Paul sets up the rest of Romans with. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed into him. Okay? So let's continue on. Paul then begins to lay out some practical ways that we can see these things happening in our life. And he starts with the fact that living sacrifices serve. Look with me at verse 3 of our passage. It says, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one, in Christ, one body in Christ, and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So these commands that we've been given now lead into some practical application. He says living sacrifices serve. First, they serve with humility. They serve with humility. We don't serve looking for accolades. We don't serve so that others may see how good a people we are. When I was in youth group growing up, we used to have a phrase that said, look at my, hum we used to joke, look at my humbleness. I'm the most humble person in the whole wide world. Okay? That's not what we should be doing. We serve because we have been served and because we are his. Jesus, in the moments before his death, the last night before he's arrested and crucified, comes to his disciples in the upper room, and what does he do? He strips down, puts a towel around his waist, and kneels at their feet and begins to wash their gross feet. And he says, do this to each other. Now, he does not mean literally that we wash each other's feet. 
Okay, we don't set up a bowl in the back and, and sit and wash everybody's feet as they come in. What he's saying is when you come through these doors, the expectation is not for you to be a consumer. It's to be a servant. Now that is hard for us. That's hard for me because I grew up here too. And our culture says consume everything that you can. Consume it, whether it's entertainment or food or relationships, or whatever the case may be. Take what you can get. But when we walk into the church, and really as we walk around this world, we are to look different, not as consumers, but as servants. Because he served us. And now we in turn serve him. So we serve with humility. We serve together. Notice what he says here. It says we're a body. We come together as one We do this thing together. We don't do kingdom work on our own. We do it in the context of the church. Even Paul, who's a missionary going out, for one thing, he goes with somebody else, but he also goes under the umbrella of the church of Antioch. Antioch prays over him and sends him. So even Paul doesn't do this on his own. He does it together with the church. We take Listen to this carefully. We do this together. I have a lot of people come to me and say, well, I can worship God outside of the church. And there is some truth to that. I've certainly had my fair share of worshiping God outside of these walls, whether it be in a fishing boat or whether it be in a campsite or whether it be at a stadium. I can can worship. That is true. But let me put forward this. You cannot obey him outside of the church. There are too many commands that say, do this to one another. Serve one another this way. Bear with one another. Pray with one another. There are too many commands like that. We cannot be obedient to God outside of the church. You need to be here with one another that we may encourage one another that we may challenge one another, that we may serve one another, that we may live life with one another. We do this together. And what happens is, like a body, when one of those parts is removed, we all suffer. We all suffer. The third thing he says here is living sacrifices serve by using their God-given talents. You see a list here of different ways that believers can serve one another and serve God with their gifts. In the same way, God has planted you here not by accident. God has planted you here in this church at this time, and he has given you specific gifts and abilities for you to use them in the church and for his kingdom. How are you doing that? Brother or sister, if you are a member here, how are you doing that? Have you found your niche? Have you found your place? Now, there are times when we all have to do things that maybe we don't want to do. You've heard me say this before. There are times when we must take out the garbage because that's just what family members do, okay? You don't have to have a special gift to take out the garbage, okay? Can you imagine, and I've used this example before, can you imagine me when dad, when I was a kid, dad looking at me and saying, son, take out the garbage, and me saying, I'm sorry, that's not my spiritual gift. Somebody else will have to do that, okay? Sometimes we just have to do what God calls us to do in the moment, but he has given you a gift. Are you using it here? 
Let me share something as a pastor. I look around this room and I see tons of spiritual gifts. I see tons of people that are incredibly talented. And many of you, you do use them here, but a few of you, I see you use them in the community, and that's great, and I want to encourage that. It's good that we're part of the community, but you're not using them here, and we need you. We need you here. There are people doing jobs that God has carved out for you, and they're doing them fine, but man, we would be doing so much better if you were there. We need you to use your gift here. Living sacrifices serve. At the same time, living sacrifices are transformed. And it's funny, the more we serve, not that our actions do anything, but it is interesting that the more we serve, the more transformed we become. The more we follow Christ under his lordship and serve him, how he changes us. And so it's no accident that that the order here is service and then transformation. He says, let love, starting in verse 9, let love be genuine and abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Notice, these things are not the gifts, these things are commands for us all. This is how all of us are to be transformed. I want you to notice something interesting here. When we read this section in chapter 12 from verse 9 and really going through the end of the passage, which we didn't finish at all, but it is the fruit of the Spirit. If you turn to Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. In other words, we have put the old person behind us, we look for the new person, and we are being transformed, and these things come through. And if you take that list in Galatians and you put it upside Romans chapter 12, what you're going to find is a ton of connections. Because Paul's talking about the same thing. That when you are spirit-filled, when you are being transformed, these things become apparent in your life. We have, on Wednesday nights, been doing a study by Francis Chan on the Holy Spirit and talking about what that means to be closer to him, to be led by him, to be filled by him. And we understand that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and he dwells with us. And when that happens, he produces something in us. This is what it means to be indwelt by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, that he transforms us and he begins to produce things in us. So we have this Holy Spirit. I want, I want you to see this just for a second. And if that's hard to, eh, it's not bad. Uh, We have the Holy Spirit, and like I said, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he comes and he dwells in us. He lives with us. John says he is our helper, that he is our counselor, that he reminds us of the words of Christ, and then he produces out of us fruit. It is the evidence that he is there, and the scriptures give us two things. The first fruit is 
is found in Matthew 13. Jesus there says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. In other words, the believer, the one that has accepted Jesus Christ by faith, he indeed bears fruit and yields fruit. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. So, Jesus says that when you have the Holy Spirit, that you will produce naturally disciples. You'll produce disciples. You'll produce others that look like Christ. Not by your own power, but by the Holy Spirit dwelling in you that comes through you. It's not your power that does this. That's why some of us produce 100, 60, 30. We're not concerned with the number. We're concerned that it's happening at all. Some of us are going to produce one. Some of us are going to be Billy Graham and produce thousands. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that when the Spirit dwells in us, we should be producing disciples. But there's another way that he, another thing that he produces, another fruit. And that's found in Galatians 5, which we just read. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In Romans, it says that it produces love, we abhor evil, we hold fast to what is good, we love one another with brotherly affection, we outdo each other in showing honor, we're not slothful, we're fervent, we serve the Lord, we rejoice, we're patient, we're constant in prayer. These things, Galatians 5, Romans 12, these things are what the, the Spirit produces in us. They're what the Spirit produces in us. So then the question comes, do you see this in yourself? When you hold up the mirror of Scripture, do you see the fruit of the Spirit? Do you see disciple-making? But here in Romans 12, what we're focused on is, do you see these things growing? Is your love genuine? Do you abhor evil? Do you hold fast to what is good? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you outdo one another in showing honor? Are you fervent in the Spirit, excited about this stuff? Do you serve the Lord? Do you rejoice in hope? Are you patient in tribulation? Are you constant in prayer? Do you see these things in yourself? Do others see them in you? This is important too, and this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with it's important for us to be in a church because there are times in my life that I don't feel patient, that I don't see God growing that in my life. There are times when in my life I don't see self-control or I don't feel like God's growing that in my life. There are times that I feel like I'm falling down pretty well on the discipleship part. And praise God. God, that he has placed me in a church where there are others that can come alongside me and say, I see that. I see it. The enemy may have blinded you for a moment, but I see it. I see what God's doing in your life. Be encouraged, brother. Be encouraged, sister. I see it. We need a church to come alongside us and to encourage us in those things. At the same time, there are times when a brother or sister comes to me and says, I, there's a problem here. Maybe, maybe we need to work on something. How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you and, and come alongside you in this area? 
But do you see these things in yourself? Do you do others see it? Because these things that Paul lists in chapter 12 and the things that he see, we see in Galatians 5, they should be naturally growing in you. And I say growing because fruit doesn't happen overnight. If I go out to my dad's apple tree and I look at that apple tree and I say, I want fruit, it doesn't happen. As much as I want it to, like I want to be able to just pick an apple off and eat it right then and there. Fruit doesn't happen in a moment, nor does it even happen overnight. There's a bud and there's a flower, and then eventually you have a, the beginnings of a fruit, and then you have it ripen and it, and it grows and it matures over time. Guess what? That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in you too. You're not instantly going to be the most loving person in the world. You're not instantly going to have the greatest self-control in the world. Overnight, with barring the Lord doing a miraculous thing, you're not going to be the most patient person in the world. It's something that he grows in you, that he matures in you. That's not always easy. There are growing pains along the way, and sometimes the way he teaches you these things is hard. Have you ever prayed for patience? I take it from that humor, yes. How does he teach us patience? He puts us in places where we need patience. Have you ever prayed for self-control? How does he teach us that? It grows in you, though. It grows in you. You should be seeing it naturally happen, not by your own effort, but by what God is doing inside of you. Now, that being said, and we're going to end with this, we can also resist it. We can also say, I don't want to grow. I don't want those things. And as believers, we can resist the Spirit, and it stunts our growth, and we don't draw closer to Him. My prayer this morning, my prayer this morning for us as we hear the Word of God is this. Maybe you're here and you're a believer, and you hear about the fruits of the Spirit, and you have resisted it. You said, I don't. I don't want to, I don't need to grow closer to him. I don't want to, I don't want more patience. I don't want more self-control. I'm fine just living the way I am. And in doing that, what you found is you've conformed to the world and you've started making their priorities your priorities instead of making Christ your priority. Maybe this morning you need to come to repentance. You need to ask for forgiveness, believer, and say, I want you. Maybe you're here this morning and you know of someone else that's going through a struggle and you need to go with, to them and wrap your arm around them and say, I see it. You don't see it right now, but I do. How can I pray for you? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know him. You've sat in a chair like this for a long time, but you don't know him. Or maybe this is your first time in a church and you would say, I don't know him. But man, that, all that stuff sounds good. Love. Embracing what's evil, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control, those things sound great. Then he stands before you. God stands before you and says, I have already paid the price. If you will come and ask for forgiveness of your sins, of your mistakes, I will grant it. If you will make me Lord of your life, then I will save you. And I will grow these things in you. Maybe this morning you just need to come to him and say, I'm sorry. I want to follow you.
If that's you, then you've got to tell somebody. That's the first act of obedience. Go tell somebody, whether it's me or another believer. But I hope that you'll respond to that this morning. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're going to have a time of response. We believe here that when God speaks to us, that we have a responsibility to respond. That when he speaks, that there's an expectation that we would talk back to him, that we would pray. What is it that he's leading you to this morning? Is he leading you to repent, believer? Is he leading you to find salvation, friend? Is he leading you to rejoice this morning over the things that he's done and the things that he's doing and the things that he has promised to do ahead? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for salvation. We thank you that though we all once stood before you guilty, that you have done an amazing work on our behalf that we can accept through faith, that we can be saved to be adopted into the family of God and to know these promises that you have given of life and life eternal, of a new heaven and a new, of a new creation to come where there is no pain nor suffering nor death nor tear. Things that we look forward to. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see how these things that you have done and that we would rejoice in them. At the same time, I I thank you that you haven't just left it at that, but you desire to live life with us and that you want to transform us into your image, that we may experience life in the way that you have designed it. You desire for us to know things like love and joy and peace and rejoicing and self-control, that we would know you. Father, I pray if there's one here this morning that does not know those things, that they do not know you, that you would give them the courage, that you would give them the strength to say, I need you. I need Christ. That today would be their day of salvation. That they would come find somebody and talk to them about that. That they would follow you in baptism. Father, I pray for brothers and sisters in Christ who I know and love here, Lord, that they would desire more of you. Father, I pray for myself that I would desire more of you. Father, we pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.